you 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 hit some some really deep, really good things that I think. Um, gosh, mm. if only everyone could hear. When, when so we hit that powerful, Israeli-Palestinian conflict part, and they were just like, "Okay, we're not going to avoid it. Yeah, we're gonna, just going to get in there and do it." I was like, "Oh, okay." Uh, that was, I mean, that I think is because it's so easy to look at America and then to ask, "Well, how does this right. mean apply to me?" Like they're just screwed up, but bringing it home to well, these are issues that I have to deal with. And then realizing it's not just the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it's not the Iranian-Saudi right. conflict, it's the Yemen conflict, it's the, the mm. neighbors down my street conflict, and I have to sit, mm. and I have to be a gate. Um, I mm. have to oh. acknowledge my pain and acknowledge others' pain. Um, yeah. yeah, that is the like answer. That's the, that mm. is the answer. Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast made for and by change makers. You are a change maker, where we gain the courage to own our story, the freedom to own our craft, and the power to own the future. I am your host, Lucas Scrobot, and today we are back with part two of a two-part episode with Brandon Polk. Today, we're going to dive straight into the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. We're going to talk, talk about building bridges, walls, and gates. Gates, guys. It's all about building gates. We're going to talk about identity politics. We're going to talk about the tyrannical patriarchy and raising boys and girls with emotional intelligence and dealing with our pain and brokenness in the world as we connect with and relate with others. I think this episode is one of the richest, deepest episodes yet. So please turn your ears on, as I would say to my boys, O-N-On. Turn them on, listen, engage, and I would love at the end of the episode to hear from you at the one or two takeaways, one or two impactful things that you pulled out of this show. Thanks for listening. Let's jump in. So coming back to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and um, mm. And you, you were you were talking about, and I interrupted you, but you're saying it's the the answer is found in the paradox. For those who, you know, in this region who are struggling with that, what does that mean? How do they live in that that middle ground of white hot tension? Yeah, I think that's a really I mean, there there's something so unique about this conflict because it is so rooted in religion. Mm -hmm. And what religion or, or, or and, and and faith mm -hmm. and in um, tribalism, right? Right, and uh, which is fundamental to identity. Yes, and so it's not like in the West, at least not as extreme, where we're talking about whether you're Democrat or Republican. We actually don't have a, an ancestry, like a, a genealogical or ethnic history that's attached to our partisan politics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, this is different in the Middle East <laughs> because the actual politicking that's going on is built around ethnocentrism yeah. and faith and religion. And so it makes it that much harder to disconnect from what would be an extreme point of view mm. if you're defining 
not only the political position, but you, but the validity of your own ethnic identity based totally. upon that political. Totally. Right. Totally. So what does one do? This is a very good question. What, do, what does one do for your audience, you know, um, in the Middle East as I think, and I'm going to give an unorthodox answer here without being facetious or vague, right? I'm going to try and not be vague. I don't know if this is the right answer, but, um, but I know it's an incomplete answer. Mm. And I know it's some of what is already happening in terms of the bridge building or some of the bridge building that's happening, especially amongst millennials in the Middle East. You know, if you're Israeli or Pakistani or whatever that or whatever the mixture is there, that there are, that, that there are some, quote unquote, reconciliation programs that are happening and even underground ones, mm-hmm. you know, that are helpful for creating relationships, right, and building relationships. Now, I think that those things are really important to have. I do think that there is a fundamental um, issue that even in relationship, people are going to hit up against. And that is um, for either of the diasporas, who has claim to this ancestral land? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it will come down to one of two things. We... Um, maybe one of three things, if they come out of my mind right. One is that the two-state solution, quote unquote, is built out of the new generation of millennials who have then become adults and then move into power, mm. right? Or Z, whatever it is, who are then open to whatever that compromise could be, which has not actually entered into the mind of the earth yet. Yeah. What that compromise told, is. No, there's no solution so far that has been presented. So, Right. It, it actually doesn't exist. Yeah. If it, 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 it exists somewhere in the ether, maybe, if it is to happen. Right. It's somewhere, but it's not in our common understanding of how the world works. Right. Um, and the other option then is that poles become more extreme. Um, and while relationships are built, there will be a disintegration of those relationships because you have to build families you know, get married, have families, things like that. So the dissolution of the proximity of relationship, you know, happens just because of the way life goes. And then we're back to square one again, building relationships again for the younger generation and, and encouraging them to do that on either side of this. So wait, and repeat that, that second option again. Sure. So that that would be th- both sides. I don't think grow, it's a it's, it, it, so it's a negative. It's both sides are growing it's further negative. and further and further and further apart right. until it breaks. Right. right. Now, what... Can, could could happen though is that the relationship building that's happening now creates the tipping point, right? Mm. Where the next generation of leaders, the second tier, third tier even of leadership, says we're not going to do it like we did 50 years ago, right? We're going to do something different, and they actually get the strategy for doing that. Um, and then the question, of course, at a fundamental level, is this even what we is this wanted? You know, is there some kind of resolution wanted? And I don't always get the sense that that resolution is wanted. No, it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> right? It really doesn't seem like it. And and especially here again, where your politics is, is tied to your identity, you know? And then on top of it all, on top of it all, there's this sense of social justice or social injustice right. that fuels the animus really between the two. And that has to get worked out also around what the storyline is, what and being honest, not taking away from anyone's story, right? But actually saying, hey, you know what, that is an atrocity. And this is an atrocity. Yeah. Where's where is the repentance in all of this? Yeah. And how do we bring it with without the need for reparations in a sense, you know, first, you know? And then what and then in the the lack of reparation, right? How then do we come together and build society? 
together. Mm. I don't know if this is, I mean, I think anything's possible. I just don't know if I will see it, but I just think, <laughs> you know, at least not before I die. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that as a, as a, uh, as a pessimist, I'm just saying it as a realist because it takes time to build connection and then have these conversations. Mm. And so what that point is, is that the natural breakdown of relationship, I think not even breakdown in affinity or affection, but proximity, the breakdown in proximity mm-hmm. comes when there is no mixture within the family building, right? Right. So, so, so in right. this, right? Some of the reasons why, you know, a lot of the conversation around race had to come up was not only because of the injustice, it was because people were intermarrying. Huh. <laughs> you know? All right, so, so they had to have the conversation. You got to have the conversation because you're sending people to jail, you know, for marrying someone who is of, a, of another race, right? It was illegal. Yeah. And this yeah. is the whole thing about integration in schools, right? Like we had to, you had to have a conversation around social justice. Because the two were forced to mix. They were forced to mix. They were forced to come together, right? And so what does that look like in the context of a Palestinian-Israeli conflict where socially, yay, culturally, you know, it is super um, scary and dangerous to mix? Yeah. You know? So um, not that it doesn't happen, you know, but now we're also mixing ideology and then race and, and, and faith and identity in the context of a of a, a I mean, thousands and thousands years old of an ethnocentricity, ethnocentricity for each party. How do you decide when you're coming together how to raise your children? That As is what? so complex. It's so complex. And then we want to have a conversation about a two-state solution. And I don't know how we get there until we have a conversation around what family looks like. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. Local. That kind of goes to a question that I had about, you know, walls and bridges, um, you know, in both, you know, right now in America, there's the hot topic of a wall. Um, and <laughs> yeah, we see it as well as the Israel Palestinian conflict. And I, and I, I, I'm trying to figure out what all these things mean, what I believe, how, where do I stand? Um, as I, I look at walls and borders and boundaries as something that's extremely healthy. Um, mm-hmm. I would think, you know, I live in United Arab Emirates. I would think that if, you know, a hundred people or a thousand or a hundred thousand people started to, you know, swim across the Gulf or take rowboats across the Gulf to, you know, decide they're just going to live in this country here that that wouldn't be okay and that that would be a serious mm-hmm. issue and therefore we have borders um mm-hmm. but at the same time you know we can we can see in the probably most pointedly in um the USSR with the wall um mm-hmm. and we now you know probably arguably we can see it in Israel or Palestine with the Israel Palestinian conflict with you know, the wall between the West Bank and Israel, that the wall doesn't always work and it actually causes more separation, more divide, more isolation, further identity politics, more us versus them. Um, and, and then I think about a bridge and that a bridge is something that that goes across a wall that is in safety that we're able to cross back and forth from either side, but it doesn't necessarily mean um, 
it's not like, you know, a bridge goes over water. It's not as if we're doing away with the river. There's still differences on each side. So I was wondering if, if Brandon, if you could unpack some of those differences and, and help me see clearly, you know, what's going on in America with, you know, people wanting to come to the States and other people being really mad that we're building a wall, some people mad that we're not building a wall. And likewise, for other nations and borders and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, um, what walls mean and look like? Where are they good? Where are they bad? And then what what do bridges look like and, and how can we do that well and healthily? Um, right. I think that's a question that's like, well, what what are we doing versus what should we be doing? <laughs> right? um, and even should is a loaded word. <laughs> but uh, what what is going on over here in the West? I mean, I chuckle in a sense because I just go like, does anybody know what's going on over here in the West when it comes to a wall? You know, but this gets to the earlier point, you know, that we're making around, you know, the stories we tell ourselves, you know, and what encourages this postmodern um, uh, level of extremism, mm-hmm. right? And you hop on a political narrative about immigrants on one side, but then you also have just ex- as an extreme or non-holistic view on the other side. Right. <laughs> you know? So it's like either way, I can't trust any source entirely, right? Mm-hmm. What's going on? So people that are extreme on a, on a wall in the West, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I would gander probably are getting their news from one or two sources, right? right. That are more... Um, like conservative and right-leaning. Um, and the opposite is also true, that if you're opposing a wall and you're getting your right. information from one or two sources, like media sources that are more left and tend to lean in, of course, on either side into that extreme. And I feel um, frustrated that I'm, I'm forced to go into one of the two camps. Exactly, exactly. And that most news outlets are forced to go into other two camps or, 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 or to one of those two camps, or, or they're, they are frustrated that they are being identified as one or the other when they're really just trying to report the news. Right. And how do you find those news outlets? It takes intentionality to find the ones that are reporting the news in a non, not in an opinionated way, right? But in an actual, like, these are the facts. This person said this, this person said this, this is what this might mean. This is an analysis, but it's not an op-ed. Like not everything, like most of what our news is, or at least most of what's being consumed is more opinion piece. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so what's going on with a wall is confusion around um, the degree of value that we can give to people as a foreigner. Now, um, the degree of value and the degree of right, like what are you, like like what do you have the right to as Mm -hmm. a foreigner? Um. And I think with very nuanced differences, you know, within the Palestinian um, and Israeli conflict, right? Like very nuanced differences of what we're dealing with. And, yes, and, yes. Uh, different for sure. Very, very, very different. Um, in the West, you know, there is a competition but between this narrative of like people coming across the border are bringing drugs, they're sex trafficking, they are gangs or they're in gangs and they're, you know, whatever, you know? So there's that. And then mm-hmm. there's the other around the people, our families and their children and how to, now here's the thing. What, what, what are we talking about? That the truth is in the paradox, right? It's yeah. the manifold mystery in the middle, right? I got to get into the tension of this whole thing 
and go yes to a wall <laughs> and yep. go yes to a bridge. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or a gate. Or a gate. <laughs> or, a right? gate. or a gate. And even a gate probably is needed even in the context of a bridge, right? Because a bridge, um, <laughs> you know, might act as a gate. <laughs> you know, but yeah. it might just be a bridge that's free flowing, and I don't, and that might be reserved for certain types of. Um, well, for that's kind of that, but that's I don't know. where I feel like the 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 argument that's being made of build bridges, not walls. It seems to imply that there's this free flowing um, lack of lack of boundaries, or um, not even necessarily geographical physical boundaries, but even as an individual that I. I do not have rights to my own personal boundaries, but I need to be a a bridge to everyone and everything, um, mm. almost like a brave new world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I get. So I, I like that you said that even the bridge needs a gate, right? Even the bridge needs some parameters. It needs some specifications. <laughs> you know, like we have to understand. You know that. Um, a, a bridge or this, or, or the, um, idealism around a bridge or the idealism Mm -hmm. around a wall is not reality for any person that has to pass through or is being barred. Right. right? That's no good for anyone who's actually dealing with this. No. You know, it's great for politics and for discussion and and analysis. 30 second sound bites. Oh gosh. It's great. You know, for you, you know, in order to stir up your base or. Or to, or to show people that you're engaged and then to talk about, you know, the, um, uh, the general sense, you know, of, in our case, uh, the ideal of Americanism, right? On mm-hmm. either side, both are going like, okay, the Statue, of Liber- um, uh, these, the Statue of Liberty, give us your tired, give us your weary, la, 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 you know, and we say that. And then on the other side of that, you know, there's this whole thing about patriotism and that all good nations need strong borders. You know, we have to protect and put America first. Right, that's a narrative that people grab onto. Yeah, really wrong. Right, and yeah. then the question is, who's thinking for themselves here? Mm-hmm. You know, do are are both not true? Full circle, right? <laughs> right, are both not true? That we need to prioritize the sovereignty of the nation while prioritizing, rather even empowering people within our own boundaries to support and love the foreigner when they come. Mm-hmm. Right? And, That's right. but, and, and does my love and support for them as a lay person, not a policy person, not a leader, whatever it is, but does my support of the foreigner actually depend on whether or not they're legal or not in the country? Right. It's a Difficult great question. question. Difficult it's a question. great question. Right. And, um, and I mean, just as community groups or religiously affiliated groups, that there's a rubric that we're, that we're called in a sense called quote unquote, to live ourselves by there's a decorum in the treatment of the for of, of the, the foreigner, foreigner yeah. that we want to project onto the government and the government may have a role, which could be sovereignty <laughs> borders, right? And the people within the country who are called to philanthropy and helping and service also have a role. That's right. Yeah. Complicated, but it's, it gets back to our other point about like, what will you do? <laughs> what will mm. you do? What, what will, will you do? 
what is your power? And who is the actual executive power here? Who, who are the executives in the world? You know, is it Netanyahu or is it Trump or is it, who is it? Who are the executives in the world? I mean, all of these executive political people are all being empowered by the laity. They're being empowered by the constituencies that they're mm. serving. And so, so you, you're making yeah. the argument that each individual is a power within the world and it's the individual, individual that holds the power. A person is a person, you know, who's been given a unique set of gifts a, and a voice um, and a life to do something with. And what we've done in uh, really cultures around the world, mostly, is you've said, go to school, get an education, make a lot of money, you'll be happy, get married, have kids, you'll be, you'll be happy, um, except for climate change. That's going to kill us anyway. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so have a good time, burn the whole building down, have a great time, we've got 100 years, don't worry about it, you know, whatever, you know, or... Passivity to the max. Totally. Right. Like, you know, self-indulgence. Um, totally. All, all the self-indulgence. And then we abdicate our own personal responsibility for right. these larger entities, rather larger entities, these positional entities um, that only have power because we abdicate that authority. Which right. is what, what drives and empowers uh, group identity politics. That is right. That is right. That is right. And, and people, then group identity politics desires to take away power from individuals who have their own thoughts, who have their own narrative, who think for themselves and ask questions and say, these are the lines, don't go outside of it because we are creating a system for your self-indulgence if you indulge us. Wow. That's powerful. Even what you just said, like, actually, it's like, it is meant in the context of party politics to take power away from the individual. Yeah. That'll preach somewhere. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if it'll go over well, but that'll preach somewhere. Oh, you know, man. Um, that if the actual stripping of the power of the individual is not only, it, while being fueled by the abdication from that individual, you know, and, and we do, we have some measure of abdication in our voting, right? Like we vote for people and we say we totally. trust this. But what we really abdicate is in not keeping them or holding them accountable because if we yeah. do, because we've thought through the issues on our own and we're educated on our own, right? We're probably in the most politically and, uh, you know, um, whatever, uh, less read generation, you know, in the world, more entertainment, you know, heavy, you know, Netflix is a billion dollar industry, not because we're watching documentaries, you know what I'm saying? We're watching totally. everything else, you know, same thing with like some of these other brands, you know, that are out there streaming, creating content, super amazing, like totally love it, you know, but it's based in fantasy and it's, and it's all for our, yes. system, you know, and, um, and so what does it mean to actually come down? And I don't know, I, I don't know if we can, rep- I mean, there, the, the, uh, document Republic. Well, this, uh, whole, like, uh, all of the documentary uh, stuff that's going on, but there's one um, fire, the fire festival, F Y R E festival. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that documentary. I watched the Netflix version a little while ago and I was like, totally scared. I was like, I'm scared for my life. I was like, what if <laughs> I, I gotta watch it now. Uh, yeah. Oh, totally. It, it's totally worth it. I'm like, how influenced am I by influencers when they, oh my. you know, when they say this is going to be the biggest party in the world. And then, you know, they're getting paid $200,000, you know, to drop one Instagram post. And then all of a sudden, regular people are willing to put down five to $8,000 for a ticket to a thing that ended up being absolutely disastrous. 
gosh. Right? And why would you do it? What what am I going to do with eight eight thousand dollar ticket? But you're also paying for more. That was just to the event. That had nothing to do with your airfare, food on the way there, like all this kind of stuff. I mean, you're Goodness. dropping twenty grand just for the experience they're promising you, right? And imagine that that's going on in the context of our politics around the world too. Mm. You know, we're going to give you a little bit to chew on in thirty second sound bites, right? And we're going to get you give us your life. <laughs> give us your vote, abdicate your authority. Don't think for yourself, go back into your escapism, go back to Netflix, go back to whatever it is, you know, um, go back to your cell phones, go back to social media, do it all. Don't worry. We got this. Yeah. You know, let's go back to sleep. Totally. Right. And that's what we're doing. We're selling people on temperament, right? Mm. Mm. Not on um, what would have happened before news was like so easily like accessible, right? And it took days, you know, for newspapers, you know, to travel around the country with any kind of news article around whatever was going on in the country around presidential politics or national politics or whatever it is, you know, that people were like actually needed to be reliable and credible in the position of something like president of the United States of America, right? That's not to yeah. discredit the person that's in there now, but it's just to say, I, which I, I I would never share um, an opinion, <laughs> you know, about who I believe is competent and who I believe is not competent. Because when it comes right down to it, everyone has a measure of incompetence and a measure of competency, right? So it's just a matter of being able to just point that out. But yeah. what I am saying is that that's not how we're measuring it. We are influenced emotionally by how well a person speaks, mm-hmm. by their ideology, rather right? than by character, rather than by character and their ability to do something that is good for the country and for the world. Their actual ability to begin something, deal with the complexity in the middle, and then finish something and complete it and close the loop in a, in a way that is, that is also really dignifying of the person that's coming in after you. So, wow. Um, anyway, it's, it's as if it is not as if, but it is that abdicating of responsibility is our silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is our silence and it or, is in even our even in relationship, not asking questions and not listening. Right. That is right. And even the reasons why we don't do that. Because then we get into um the other part of pain if you're not able to and, and we talked about it in a really good way earlier, like pain as the opportunity to create basically, you know, to mm. create opportunities. But then the alternative is happening mostly for other people, which is pain that creates fear of experiencing that pain again, which we call mm. vigilance, And then we turn away um, from opportunities that are risky for us, right? We actually, um, out of fear, start to try, we, we try to control our own lives. Yeah. We try to control what's happening. And then we manipulate people. We use people. We resource people um, more than we um, preference people over us mm. out of fear. Mm. So all of that is going on mostly in the context of our human experience. Everyone's dealing with that. And the hard thing and the courageous thing is to confront that and to self forget more and not be like, and like, like, like what is love? Like what is pure love that it actually has no regard for the self, but more right. for the other. Right. Say that again. What is, what is pure love? What is pure love that it actually has little regard for the self and most regard for the other. Wow. Right? I like that. 
and it does and that doesn't mean that a person doesn't love him or herself it means that i don't have to produce love um or the case for my being worthy of love it's an acceptance and in being fully loved that i can i don't have to worry about trying to earn it or get it from other places right that even in 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 love while i'm in love and that i feel love and i'm self-accepting that i don't have to protect myself from being hurt it's more important that i actually give love and i'm willing to be hurt right actually willing to go out for you i'm willing to do it because i'm fully loved and my life is full and i'm fulfilled in the philanthropy of my choices right that's all coming from the place of self-accepted love and self-compassion and my own weaknesses that i give fully to you and i give fully to a cause that's bigger than me you know so wow it's deep yeah it hurts <laughs> i say it was easy <laughs> yeah that's yeah, that's deep all right it's deep because it hurts <laughs> oh my goodness it's a deep pain you know but but if if we're gonna be uh you know change makers you know mm. rain makers you know mm. really where the work is it's on the inside yeah it is um i have some more questions but i don't think we have time for them brandon that's okay it's I don't a, know if you have time. I have time. I have a little bit of time. Great. Then I'll I'll, I'll ask the, the questions. You, I, what you said about um, forgetting ourselves uh, and and thinking of others more to to paraphrase and to to hold and experience our pain rather than to try to bury it under. Uh, falling asleep to ourselves or um entertainment or self-indulgent i think that um if man if if we did that even 50 percent, 10 percent, i think it could begin to produce major changes um in our lives as individuals um so profound so deep but I had a question going back a little earlier. You said that everyone has a, a level of competence and incompetence in them. And we've been talking a lot about um, uh, government systems or or hierarchies. And I was wondering if you could, if we could broach the subject and speak, um, speak a little bit about um, equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome. And, uh, 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 what's the word? Patriar- uh, tyrannical patriarchal hierarchies. I, I hear those kind of terms thrown around a lot. And um, I have my own thoughts or ideas, but I would love to hear from you what you think about the first question. And they kind of go hand in hand, equal, uh, op- equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome and uh, patriarchal hierarchies and how those are are or aren't positively or negatively playing out in the world. Wow. And I'm way interested in hearing your thoughts on this, by the way. (laughs) You're asking me like all of the like super hard questions, like way up in the academic space here. Okay. Um, So um, I think equality of opportunity, I oftentimes will pair with a conversation on equity. And which I think I've done before that equity is, you know, that while equality is generally, you know, the equality of opportunity, you know, which, you know, um, is pretty fairly understood. 
but that some people, regardless of where they come from, race, creed, whatever it may be, may not have um, have experienced um, that uh, uh, kind of like equality from the beginning of their lives or generations. Mm-hmm. And so then representing or um, like exposing a need for equity, which is some kind of what some people say, like a hand up <laughs> or a hand in to give more resources to create the um, uh, level playing field for the equality of opportunity for some versus others. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that exists. I think that plays into this conversation because the equality of outcome then becomes complicated, (laughs) you know, because if we're measuring um, the equal playing field by the outcome, Right. Well, there are a lot of things that may influence the outcomes of their macro totally. meso things that are um, still at play, even if you manage to give equity to a group of people who might be legitimately deserving of it. And they have then the equality of opportunity. There's no way to actually tell if the macro forces or even micro meso forces or systems are still impacting the outcome of a person's mm. life or not. Mm. Right. Whatever they're able to generate. Super complicated. Yes. But the theory in its simplest way, you know, is like if we give you the equality of opportunity, then you should be able to produce the equality of outcome. But then that sets the case, right, for saying, well, if you don't, then it's on you. And then if most of you don't, if you're of a different or if you're not a part of the minority or if you're not a part of the majority, then it also sets up this case for what we would then call sort of racial science or the lesser than, you know group of people that says, see, we gave them everything. We equalized the playing field. We made it so, and they still did less. There must be something wrong with them. Right. Mm. And there are people out there that are doing that, you know, that are coming to those conclusions, you know, right. uh, Which is a horrible conclusion, horrible conclusion, horrible, right. Vile, vile conclusion. Totally like not even true. Right. But this is some of the reality that people are living in. And at a subconscious level, you know, you don't know, you know, if that's the, that's the case or not. I think this flows into what you mean about the patriarchy or tyrannical patriarchy. Um, I mean, we could go way to the extreme there and talk about dictatorships, <laughs> you know, um, right. or uh, the patriarchy and uh, like a dynasty family or something like that, you know, where it's like everyone um, uh, sort of in a particular part of the world um, in a particular country or nation, um, women are not revered and it's more important to give mm-hmm. sons so we kill all the daughters, right? Like that's very extreme, right. right? It's super extreme. And yet we know that there are places in the world, you know, who want to cleanse and have something more Aryan than that, you know? And they will pursue yes. that and have, and, and have pursued that throughout the history of the world, whether it's through the assassination of babies with Down syndrome or um, children of different color or different race or whatever kind of defect they may have, mm-hmm. you know, um, or even civil disobedience, you know, that will get you murdered and killed. You know, this is happening in Venezuela right now, you know, um, where the patriarchy is like, at all cost, we will hold on to this socialist society, you know, right. at all cost, I will hold on to the position that I've been given. And that means I will kill so, my own. So here's the, here's a question. Uh-huh. So the, and I hear this conversation mostly happening in gender issues, um, in this, uh, you know, that women aren't, don't have the power that they deserve or the place that they deserve, that they're, they're oppressed. And also in some of the, the race issues. Um, so my, my question then is Venezuela, for instance, um, 
what is to say that, you know, it's because it's a patriarchy that it's tyrannical? True. Very good I, question. Um, maybe because it's always like if, been a patriarchy. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think that, um, and I think there's more into that, you know, and I don't, I don't, and I'm not one of the people too that just goes, you know, that the patriarchy or the matriarchy, right, is bad, you know, just, yeah, right. um, just in, in and of itself. But I think that we can add the word tyrannical if the patriarchy is actually behaving tyrannically. I think it's unfair well, to look at just any patriarchy around the world and then do away with it because it's, you know, because it's just yeah. men that are in charge, you know. I agree with you on that. I think every time that I have, at least recently, that I've heard the word patriarchy and uh, hierarchy, um, that it's always in a negative context, as if by by the fact that it is a quote-unquote patriarchy, which I don't think is actually uh, a founded fact. I think it's just uh, propaganda. But the fact that it's a patriarchy automatically makes it tyrannical and that's automatically oppressive yeah yeah and i totally think that's unfair while also uh while also trying to be you know as diplomatic in the here again i think this whole conversation around privilege you know as it exists around the world and whom is generally in power right Mm -hmm. has been white male colonials (laughs) colonials <laughs> depending on the the, the, world. the sphere of society that, that is right that is right you know and um and uh so mo- more so we're probably talking about gender gender issues rather than race issues right now. well well but, that's true but even in the context of of the patriarchy the ways in which you're describing it though totally flows into race because i hear it a lot totally. i hear it a lot from black men about tear, tearing down the patriarchy <laughs> you know so it's like you right, know, which is, to- I mean, you know, fine, but, whatever. But I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I completely agree. But then, but then, my question is: Okay, well, if you tear down the patriarchy, um, and you put another person in place, <laughs> isn't it? St- isn't it still mostly? Yeah, or or a matriarchy? And yeah. so, w- what is the? I I think it's, I think it's a, a confusing what the real issue is by throwing by using that term. Yeah. Um. As I've heard, I've I've been reading a little bit about it and studying it and seeing that uh, in egalitarian societies, that the the differences between men and women only become greater. And there's men and women are very similar. They're similar in their intellect and their mm-hmm. competencies, but they have very different uh, differences in interest and in temperament. Mm-hmm. Both which, you know, men have one full standard deviation, more interested in things versus people and women have a full standard deviation, more interested in people than things. Uh So that would mean that you'd have to be more interested in people than 85% of all men to be just as interested as a 50th percentile woman and vice versa for things, which that that plays into roles in society that plays into whether you're an engineer or a nurse. Um, and so, and even if you look in, in, uh, the education system or the healthcare system, it's primarily a matriarchy. Um, and it's primarily run by women. The home even is primarily run by women. And so it seems that there is a, 
a flawed argument to say that society is completely run by men when I think it's looking at looking at the issue from too low of a resolution rather than a high resolution view on the issue. Would you agree with that or am I not seeing that fully? Um, no, I, I don't disagree. I think that, I mean, you just said something that sparked something in me, which was, you know, uh, a lot of you know, I'm a social worker by trade. I've worked in a lot of core service agencies um, that yeah. are more feelings-based professions, right? They're like connection with people, that it's wraparound services, it's things like that. You know, most of these mm-hmm. are run by women, you know, in the West at, at least, these yeah. philanthropic, you know, or the, the, the nonprofit programs like that, you know, are, have women in leadership within them, even if they're not at the actual head at the executive director level. Right. But, mm-hmm. but I think that what the, what, what came to me as you were talking was then at the highest, highest levels of authority, leadership, um, in business and politics and culture setting, there's still, um, while there's evidence of women being able to lead in these different spheres, right? Lead in business. For sure. In, right. So we know, but then there's still an access point, right? That either is being barred by the male majority or, uh, and then for what reason, right? Like if, if that's true, then, then there is an atrocity happening within the context of the patriarchy that is barring women, because of a view of of what a woman is for, or what, or, or not seeing their value in 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 the context of being able to make those decisions, but then also paired with a point that you're making that maybe just there there aren't as many women that are interested in having those kinds of positions and and aren't naturally gravitating towards them because that's required yeah. there. And here again, we'll call it the MM and the M. Somewhere in the middle is the answer here, uh, right? It's somewhere in the middle yeah. because it's it's both. It is both that there is an ostracization, um, a barring of women being in those positions. And if they do get in those positions or get in proximity to leadership, to the male leadership that is there, then we know that sometimes the patriarchy, quote unquote, takes advantage of those women, you know, sexual abuse, things like that. spiritual abuse, all those things happening. And at the same time, you know, when, even if you're brought into a, a potential leadership position, then there are things that you may be required to do, you know, that go up against your values or go up against the integrity of yourself, you know, just as a woman, you know, where you protect mm-hmm. your body as much or whatever it is, you know, because then you would be disconnected or barred from um, a, a, a certain kind of opportunity that's in the context of leadership at the highest levels or at important levels within an institution or government itself. So, mm. um, and I think that all those things are at play. And then now, of course, we're seeing that women are learning how to advocate for themselves more in those spaces. Um, litigation is, 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 uh, is a real thing that can happen now as people are listening. Um, and there are guidelines set up, you know, there's, uh, anti-discrimination, all those kinds of things, you know, as, as the rubric is being set for those, um, things that give women options, you know, to advocate for themselves and the context of equality for them. Um, so So would you argue for equality of outcome meaning and you would have to describe equality of outcome for me equality of outcome as you know if there is an an equal spread of you know whatever the spread in a population or demographic of men versus women that that should be equally represented across 
all fields of society, whether it's government, education, healthcare, um, military, you name it, there should be an equal amount of of all people groups, demographics, uh, male, female, in each each sector of society. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a similar question, you know, to um, affirmative action or you know whatnot. You know, my my. But affirmative action to me seems more more um, equality of opportunity, just like you know the vote. Um, those are all all rights that I believe that everyone should have, and it's equality of opportunity. But it seems that a quality of outcome, where it's saying, you know, you can't have the job even though you're competent and qualified. We're going to wait around for someone else who doesn't look like you to take this job. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you, you, you're right in one sense, the, the other sense around affirmative action, let's just say in the context of higher education was exactly the exact same argument. It was schools who were letting, um, or at least the, um, the, what, the, what the accusation was is that there were schools that were admitting, mm. you know, black and brown people into their colleges and universities and that other, you know, white students weren't getting accepted for that reason. Right. And so mm. um, pair, pair that with with how you're describing or defining the equality of outcome. It sounds very similar. Right. It's like but it's only at, it's at the professional level now where it's like, oh, wait a minute. We need to have um, an equal amount of women. You know, it's diversity and inclusion, women, um, black and yeah. brown people, whatever, you know. And then is that in spite of what their competency is uh, in an actual position or not? You know, right. so it's, it is a similar argument, you know, that throughout the history we've had around. Um, in spite of their, their competencies or um, the amount that people want to or don't want to work. Right. Um, I think, I think that's a very complex issue when it, when it's breaking down to um, the patriarchy and the way society has skewed itself um, based on social norms. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think that while I'm, I think, I don't mind some, if not most, attention towards diversity and inclusion, i.e. equality at all. Mm -hmm. I don't want to disrespect self-determination in people's lives um, in a way that keeps them away from the opportunity or the equality. That's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about. Can you break that down by what you like, mean that there's self-determination in people's yeah, lives? Like if if a woman decides she wants to live a certain way, like she has kids and, you know, she, um, wants to work, um, in a way that mm -hmm. gets the job done and it requires some flexibility in the organization. It may require some flexibility yeah. in the organization in order to help meet that need, but she's perfectly competent in order to do the job. Then I'm like, yeah. Hey, can we help her? Out? Like, totally. totally. That's reasonable. Right. Totally. And so that goes to the other half of the point. I said, yes, let's let's kind of respect the self-determination of a person, but let's not sacrifice the competence in order to get the job done, right? Um, right. And that's easier said. I said it very easily, but it's easy, it is easier said than done. And uh, it takes a measure of intentionality. When people are moving fast, you have to actually stop and recognize what's most important. It's literally what's getting, what's, what's really being like addressed here is that we want what we want when we want it. And when you're focusing on people in that scenario I just described, sometimes she's not going to be able to be on a phone call right when you want her to, right? She's nursing. Mm. 
and it's good. And we should have as a part of our communities, as a part of our businesses, this, this like indulgence in the beauty of motherhood. And yes, yes. yes, Let her, she'll be on the call. She'll get there, (laughs) you know, let her nurse her baby, let her be there for her children. If that's what she decides to do. Or let her go to the school and take care of a, a behavior problem that's going on. And she can do that and be an executive at the same time. You know, of course she can. And men can. Yeah. And men can do that as well. Yes. Talk about equality of opportunity and equality of outcome. I want to be Mr. Mom. I want to be at home full time. I can't wait yes. for that opportunity to come up. If it comes up, God, please. That's what I want, you know? <laughs> so um, to have someone with that kind of sugar, you know, that I can do that would be great, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, my goodness. But, uh, you that's know, right. but that's also part of it. It's like men can be at home. The Michael Keaton movie, you know, back in the day, Mr. Mom, totally yeah. makes sense, yeah. right? And um, and do other things, you know, that, um, you know, men can move more, you know, to the compassionate center, right? To the more feelings oriented as opposed to the things oriented, you know? I think that's happening more in the culture. And I've actually said that somewhere, maybe here in the context of the Me Too movement that's happening around the globe right now or whatever. Mm-hmm. reach that has, you know, into the Middle East. I'm not sure whatever reach it has into other parts of the world. But I have said if there is not a corresponding movement of of um psychologically and emotionally intelligent men moving along with sort of the Me Too Times Up movement in its in its healthy form, in its healthy iterations, in its healthy expressions, then we will continue to have these problems within the context of the patriarchy, right? This is, right. you know, like there needs to be a more compassionate, self-compassionate, vulnerable side that men are invited to experience in the context of leadership and being successful, as opposed to the pressure that the culture is currently putting on men right now. This is not to like, oh, woe is me, men. I'm just like, this is the reality mm-hmm. of, of how we raise our boys, right? How we raise you to think this is what success looks like. Make six figures, do it this way. Don't be an artist, be an engineer, right? Don't be a singer, be a doctor. Mom always wanted a doctor in the family, (laughs) you know? Or grandmother always thought you'd be a doctor. I can't believe you would decide to do this with your life, la, 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 la. And we don't empower autonomy and individualism um, unless you're at the very top making millions and millions of dollars and doing that in a way and support mm-hmm. not only family, but the generational family, and then also have an extreme, extraordinary amount of power where people are depending on you, but you're also able to boss them around, <laughs> you know, that, that right. kind of power. We raise boys like this. That is a crisis. If we don't deal with that at the emotional intelligence level, then we'll continue to have issues of abuse in the workplace, at the business and political levels, right? So what are we really trying to, like, um, deal with here in the term, in terms of the patriarchy. Maybe we don't need to tear it down. It just needs reformation. You know, <laughs> it needs. And I guess why, and I think, I think the question that as you're saying all these things that's coming to my mind, um, is a, is that a result of a quote unquote patriarchy? And cause a lot of those things that you said, it also sounds like it's pressure that's being put on men by women. Oh, yeah which would be a result of a matriarchy. So, so a, is this a result of a patriarchy? Um, and I think maybe three questions. B, why, why is there 
right now in this, in the culture, you know, and maybe it's just people don't even know what they're talking about, but, you know, talking about this tyrannical patriarchy when, you know, the fact that we're able to talk right now halfway around the world is due to high, high competency, right. high competition and capitalism and a hierarchy that has promoted competition and everyone who has any sort of smartphone is benefiting from this quote unquote patriarchy that they seek to tear down and destroy this hierarchy that they they feel is so against them even though it's you know supported the the uplifting of millions and millions of people out of poverty around the globe um and then the, I guess the last question is, um, why do why do we feel? What is it that's in the the ethos right now that makes people feel like it needs to change? Like what what is happening across the globe that people are lashing out at this, and what do they they think that it should be replaced with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super great questions. Um, you know, I don't know half of what I'm talking about most of the time. So I'm going to give you what I, I'm thinking right now. <laughs> What's coming yeah. up right now is, um, you know, why, why is it happening now? I think that sometimes things reach a fever pitch, right? Mm. Um, and there are many explosions, large explosions, and certain things that happen, news things, newsworthy things happen. And w- whether it's the, um, if you're in the West, it was the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, here several months ago. Yeah. Really yeah. took things yeah. to a fever pitch, you know, in Washington. Um, or the Sandy Hook shootings or the other shooting that, that just happened in Florida at the high school in Florida, I forget its name, um, where all of the kids mm-hmm. went marching and then they're, um, and they, and they left school and they were doing rallies, you know, get out the vote, get out to vote rallies, you know, and say, and, and really becoming politically active, right. Fever yeah. pitch moments. Um, and I don't know what that, I, I think that some of that is, is, is a part of why we're seeing, um, you know, the, attack at the patriarchy and then an identifier attached to it generally, which is the tyrannical word that you've been using, right? That this is generally mm-hmm. how people have been talking or seeing through a filter, the patriarchy. And I think that the reality is what you said earlier is that that's a gross, um, uh, there's a, just a, a misunderstanding, um, or an assumption that's being made about the, the patriarchy when it's been the patriarchy the entire time and there have been men that have done good and there have been men that have not done so good but most men have been complicated and a mess and in the middle right and mm-hmm. a lot of those scenarios um you know does uh um you know there 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 have been situations you know where women and other people and, and other you know um whatever, like identifiers you want to use, have also been abused or, or barred from progress in their own lives because of uh, holding mm. on to the power structure, right? And I think that's, generally speaking, maybe what, we're, what, what, what people are really getting at when they say the patriarchy is the, the um, assumed like, psychology of the ego of the patriarchy, right? To always hold on to its position of power as opposed to sharing it. Um, you'll have to... 
So maybe what they're what they're trying to talk about is people people who are are holding on to power and trying to use power to wield over other people. Because I don't I look around my life or the world that I live in, and I probably live in societies that are are definitely I would say in a positive way have a patriarchy, but in no way would I say that I feel like I I look around the globe and no way would I say that I feel like I'm living in a, in a tyrannical patriarchy. I don't see anyone who is, you know, tyrannically, you know, oppressing me. Yeah. Uh, is that because I'm white? Um, maybe, but not entirely. I mean, I don't think so. I don't think it's entirely because you're white. <laughs> I just don't know what we're talking. I yeah. just, I guess sometimes I'm confused <laughs> that what exactly when people are talking about this, you know, what exactly, wait, what exactly are you referring to? It seems such a vast generalization. Mm -hmm. I love our moments of comedy here. It's like, is that because I'm white? And I'm like, (laughs) I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, you know, you don't know what you don't know and you may not know something because you're white. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It's just just like not having the experience of something or not being, or not having the filter for it. I think that, that, there are forces in the world that we that, that have been very visible to us over the years, right? There have been mm-hmm. um, these more than indicators, actual behavior, you know, that has been uh-huh. oppressive, you know, to, to people like me right. too. Oh, totally, like totally. Okay. You know, I mean, that's what they're saying is that, like, I mean, you know, the history, you know, of women around the world, you know, and the, the value, right. you know, that certain governments are you know, states or whatever it is, you know, will put on the actual presence of, of women and leadership and culture or respectability in the context of family and marriage or relationships, right? And just in mm-hmm. in the world at all. You know, I think that the same thing could be said, well, when American soldiers were in Vietnam, you know, and then they were going to all of the, whatever the strip clubs, hostels, or whatever was going on, not hostels, whatever they were going to, you know, to, um, you know, be with a lot of the Vietnamese women and they made babies with them. You know, and then yeah. all yeah. of these things that were going on. And then now all of a sudden the war is over and those men are gone, <laughs> you know, and then you've got women who are right. living in poverty for the most part, living in the governmental, you know, state that they're in. And then they've got children who are being ostracized because they're half white. Right. And they're not full, you know, there's like all this going on. And then in some cases, you know, if you listen to like Madam Butterfly um, or read Madam Butterfly or um, Miss, Miss Saigon, I think is, is the play that I'm thinking of, you know, where that scenario happened and she actually killed her herself so that the people from mm. the army or whatever the branch of the, um, the military was would take her child and reunite that child with his biological father in the States. You know, gosh, I mean, and that's a clear picture of of, you know, what would be deemed as the patriarchy or or maybe male mm-hmm. privilege. Yes, definitely. Perfectly. And and in this scenario, in this play, Miss Saigon, I'm a theater person, so I'll talk about, about this play that she, um, mm-hmm. that this soldier, you know, who had forgotten all not forgotten about her, but obviously wasn't with her, right? He was, he didn't stay in Vietnam. He had to come home. You know, it's been years have gone by. He's remarried and his, and his wife has no idea about this relationship that he had with this Vietnamese woman, much less because does do, do either one of them 
you know, the soldier or his wife, even mm. know that he has a child halfway all the way across the world, you know? So Goodness. super crazy, right? That what, 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 what is it within the quote unquote patriarchy? <laughs> you know what I mean? That doesn't allow, um, or doesn't consider even, um, the evidence of this is even happening until it's too late, maybe, you know, for the mm. women, <laughs> you know, that are involved, you know, like what, like when was that decorum, you know, sort of like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. You know, like we'll let you be with the Vietnamese women and do your thing, you know, and we won't actually, right. You know, like really can, um, have a lot of concern for their well being as, um, as part of the evidence or part of the witness of you being in this country, you know? Um, mm. so, um, but that's just in it. One example, I think that just takes it out of the conversation of black and white, <laughs> right? Takes it out. We, we yes, have these yeah. incidents of yeah. this around the world, and and definitely, you know, in places you know that are way more extreme and and like conservative in their um, and, totally. and like their views on raising totally. children or having family, right? Um, and the role of women in a in a cultured and industrialized world. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I. You know, to that last point of, um, you know, more conservative societies where, where this, where there's no, it's not an egalitarian society where there's, there is definitely not equal rights or equality of, you know, in the eyes of society or culture in the vote. Um, I can, I completely can see and agree how those, women in those settings in those societies um are not being treated the way that they ought and that is mm -hmm. oppression um and you know thinking to you know that story that you just told it's you know it's clear that that is a a man who is able to exercise his maleness as privilege over you know, there's, you know, there's the race thing too, that's going on, um, at, at, you know, total disregard for that other human's yeah. life. And without it being malicious, right? So the word tyrannical, like the word privilege <laughs> can sometimes mm. indicate to the listener that you're calling me evil, right? It could be completely subconscious. Mm. <laughs> and I, now, tyranny, I'm not so sure if I would use it as a subconscious word. Like, if I'm doing tyranny, uh, I'm probably... Right, tyranny I'm seems pretty... Uh, a, a tyrant, advised. you know? Like, if we look in places like Syria around the world, I'm like, if you don't know you're a tyrant, <laughs> you know? Like, if Osama bin Laden right. doesn't know that he's a tyrant, you know, in, in from the American point of view, you know, in, in terms of, you know, um, um, some of the things, you know, not, not even American point of view. I mean, I, I, well, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you'll want to strike that from this, but, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, but, but, but there are things, you know, that of course are, are super obvious, you know, to even the most dumb of us, right? Experience. Venezuela. Total, right. Come, come on with, with like Maduro, you're a complete tyrant. You know, you are, you're intentionally not letting aid into your own people. You're bombing them in the street. Like, you know, that it's, it's your way. They must conform and that's it. Like, you know, that that's what you're, you know, yes. And you go beyond being a dictator into living out and giving orders, you know, to do harm to anyone that doesn't get along. And that is functional. 
I think that that any you know half-brained person would fully agree with you know these scenarios. I think maybe it's when it moves into the argument that capitalism um, is some tyrannical patriarchy that's oppressing millions mm. across the globe. Um, I think that's where, where when when we move out of specific incidences, like when we look at the Me Too movement and we look at some of these guys who would, you know, oppress women or rape women mm-hmm. or without any recourse, that individual, of course, is being mm-hmm. tyrannical. Um, but it seems that it's when it's propped up generally, vaguely across um a system, but we can't even identify what system it's being propped up against and labeling it, labeling it tyrannical. Um, I think that's where, that's where I start to cock my head sideways and I get, I get confused at, well, why is it tyrannical? What's tyrannical about it? What do you even mean by tyrannical? Um, yeah. It, is it just because it's competitive that you don't like it? And just because men choose to compete in that space that it's all of a sudden yeah. evil? What if women were competing right. in that space? Is that now, is it not tyrannical anymore because it's a male instead right. of a female in the right. same hierarchy? But I think for sure when they're, I think it's it's clear and it's black and white when we're looking at specific situations of specific incidences and talking about things with a higher resolution. Um, where we're able to point out and say, no, this behavior right here, this action right here, when this person did this, and whether intentionally or just unintentionally used their 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 privilege, whether it's from uh, wealth or race or sex, um, gender over another yeah. person, whether they're aware of it or not, that I think. Um, I can see how that is, uh, I don't know what phone will use the word abuse, but that is where we, where those people have fallen short, right? If the person's totally oblivious and unaware, um, of, of the pain that they're causing someone else, that person has fallen short of the mark and they need to awaken to a level of awareness and make that Mm -hmm. wrong right yeah and i think that that's what some of the struggle is right is that if you're talking you know plainly about the quote-unquote tyrannical tyrannical patriarchy that there is a question about the awareness within the patriarchy within the patriarchy itself to Mm. even acknowledge its tyranny (laughs) right because it's, it's right. always been, right. how would you even know if it's, if, if your tyranny is normalized, then how do you actually begin to exculpate what is tyrannical or not? You know, like, um, you just don't right. know. I think that that's part of the, part of the thing that's going on when we're having the conversation. It's the same thing around privilege. Like if you don't actually know the history around your position, then you can't actually identify. And in fact, you'll downright resist the notion of privilege that it even exists. Right. And um, and I still have conversations like this where people are like, well, white privilege is not a thing. I don't believe it. You're not going to tell me, you know, that everything that I own was on the backs of somebody else 400 years ago. My family didn't have slaves. My, my, my family didn't like torture anybody. Right. So how would, how right. can you even put two and two together? You know, that, that white privilege is a thing that applies to me or anyone. And, and if it doesn't apply to me, then how can it apply to everyone? So is it even a thing or is it a construct? Right. And you can, and, and we can reason, uh, we can rationalize, we can reason, you know, 
that stuff away, right? So it's arguable that psychologically mm. that an entire collective could reason away their actual tyranny, <laughs> their, their actual ability to engage in tyrannical behavior without actually um, having the heart of a tyrant. I think that that would be, well, with the exception of the ego that's holding on in pride to position and power, right? Without actually knowing that that's what he's doing. Does it excuse it? No, but the but 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 the ignorance of it is important to note that where there's ignorance of it, and then I think this is one of those other things you know that if you're a part of a minority group, you know, then we always operate as a collective. You know, when you're a part of the majority, you tend to operate as an individual. Right. So it's super mm. hard for anyone at the individual level to actually say they're a part of a collective and they, and that they have a collective experience, especially if there's a negative connotation around that experience. Huh. Crazy. Hmm. So, are you in? Are you that an individual, or are you a part of a collective? Manifold mystery in the middle. Yes. <laughs> both both and, and both and both and. Mm -hmm. Gosh. Yeah. Paradox. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, you know, as you're saying that, I begin to think. Well, you know, my great grandparents came over from from Poland. Um maybe great, great grandparents, you know, but, you know, early, you know, 1900s, you know, before, um, you know, well after. And so, you know, I question, you know, as you're saying, I'm like, well, yeah, like, did my great grandparents benefit? Um, and I could see how, well, there was a system that was built and put in place generations before they were even born. Um, and then when they, which, when they came into that system, they benefited based on a system that mm. existed. Mm -hmm. That is right. Is that right? That is right. And interesting, you know, if you're from Polish heritage, you know, just depending on, you know, the history that you're coming from could also have been the victim of the patriarchal tyranny. <laughs> totally. Right? And then you move. Absolutely. Right? It's probably why, exactly. it's probably why they and came you over. into a situation where you actually become part of the patriarchal tyranny it's really odd you know it's <laughs> you know yeah. well but so then and then this where it also becomes mm -hmm. complex that you know the the black or colored brown mm -hmm. narrative has is now also become part of the patriarchal 100%. tyranny 100% the fact that the fact that we own a phone that makes us part of mm -hmm. a patriarchal tyranny interesting I love that. The fact that we own a phone that we are able to speak on, do videos, present to the entire world in a click, and this thing called viral, right? That whole yep. thing creates another avenue even for the lay person, right? For the everyday person. This is what this goes back to a conversation around power, right? Like who actually has the power right yeah. now? And is this the reason why quote unquote people, whoever the people are coming are calling the, the um, calling out this uh, kind of patriarchy as tyrannical, this kind of power being allocated or disseminated um, to the general public makes the patriarchy nervous. And then, I mean, this is what people are thinking, right? Th this is the, the actual thought that if the patriarchy is nervous about its position, will actually seek to censor, right? the uses mm. even of those things so it's when you're out of it's when it's not in their control 
right? So, um, you know, that, yeah. that things start to go a, a little nuts for the, for, for the patriarchy and therefore it instigates a lot of this control out of fear, you know? And the nickel, but I think, the, you know, it's, it goes to that 1%, right? It's the, oh, the 99 one percent but everyone who you know in the west if you're making 35 anywhere in the world if you're making thirty-five thousand us dollars a year you are right. part of the one percent that's right if you if you own a smartphone it's because you are are pressing the the bottom of the bottom in the hierarchy and you sit at the top of this quote-unquote tyrannical mm. patriarchy mm. and you are benefiting from a a hierarchy a system of capitalism and competition which you know one has lifted millions out of poverty and two you're directly benefiting from from that and you have privilege uh-huh. from that yeah. um and so i i think it's on on both sides it's be careful you know don't throw stones in glass houses right. as how it says so um and, and realizing and it goes full circle to realizing everyone has inflicted right. pain. Everyone has experienced pain in our human condition. There, there is a, a level of equality with inside our, mm. our souls that we need to be able to look at individuals and say, I see you as a human, you have pain and I have inflicted pain and I have pain and I've had pain inflicted on me. And a, a mutual coming together and, and as you said, being able to sit with one another and say, we may disagree, but I am for your success, not for That's your right. destruction. That's right. That's right. And when we do that, when we can do that. Because it takes all those, the, the hierarchy conversation away. It takes, it moves it away from the system is the problem to I am part of the problem and mm-hmm. I am part of the That's solution. Right. And I, and when you're say you're a part of the solution, right? You're taking responsibility for what's happening. And this Absolutely. is the thing, you know, like, you know, when I'm doing therapy with, with folks, I go here again, things I probably mentioned to you last time, people will oftentimes come and say, you know, I'm paying you as my counselor to take away my pain. Mm. And mm. my answer to them is no, you're not actually paying me to take away your pain. You're paying me to to look at you in the face sometimes and then over the phone in other circumstances to say what will it take to get you to take responsibility for where you are and for where you want to go. Oof. That pain is a part of Oof. it. The expectation that you have an entitlement is that you shouldn't have it. That doesn't mean that me as the counselor or as some other person in your life can give you validation that the world is going to stop working the way that it does for you. It won't. Mm. Right? It predates you. (laughs) So you have to come along and actually come out of disillusionment and into the reality of what's actually happening in the world and take responsibility not only for you, but actually generate vision and mission for your life so that you are not focused narcissistically on your existence in the world and that it's all about you. Say that again about purpose, meaning vision and focus for your life where it's not all about, not all about you. This is what pain does. Um, a wolf caught in a trap, (laughs) right? will focus not on what's going on externally, but only getting out of the trap. 
only on mm. whatever it is going on on your foot, on your paw, whatever it is. I am hyper focused on that area of pain in my life, right, or in my body, or whatever it may be, right. And and for and if it's yeah. so drastic, and the, and if my if, if my identity is threatened by that thing that either happened to me that caused pain or that I self-inflicted and I need and I need some kind of justification or validation, whatever it is, then every relationship that I have, even with myself, with my family, with friends, with work, whatever it is, is all going to be based on what I feel like I need so that I stop hurting. The reality mm. is that that entitlement and that entitlement that is enabled, right, by the pain itself, because of your posturing, your perspective on, 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 and, and your expectation that the world or people are supposed to understand and then mitigate for your pain, that people don't hurt other people. That's not the world we live in. That's not the world we're supposed to live in. All of those things, right? That, that if, you, if, if you have that, if that doesn't die, <laughs> then you cannot come with purity, like real purity, and, and like address the external woes of a society that you're living in, you know, because it always, it always comes back to you, right? It always comes back to being about your identity. Like, like, you know, like, like we know people, it's like, we're talking about it, right? Like that, that, that will do good. And it's be, and they're, and they're choosing to be philanthropic with their lives because they're insecure about themselves. Right. Like that happens. And we all have a version of that, you know, we're dealing with that in ourselves. And the goal is to become less of that, um, self-serving, self-seeking, um, less needy in the context of our identity and getting that affirmation from external things, from our achieving, from our perfection, from our performing, but rather generated from the inside of ourselves, either from a sense of spirituality or from the divine, wherever you get it and saying, I am a 10 already. <laughs> Because yeah. I was made that yeah. way. And my role is to live my life externally as a 10, right? Relationally as a 10, impacting everything in my sphere of influence for the good, for the common good, as opposed to that doing common good or approaching common good and then not having it re- reciprocated in a way that you can catch it in a way that means mm. something to you and fills the gap of your own broken identity and sense of self esteem, right? Mm. The latter, <laughs> you know, is, is I think the, where we're pushing and where we're going and what the self-organizing universe is like bringing us to. Right. Yes. So. Yes. Gosh, that's brilliant. Well, Brandon, I have to, that last thing, gosh, it's so true that, that the picture of the, the wolf in a trap and it's it's almost as if that wolf is saying, I'm a two, and everything that they do is trying to fill <laughs> that pain, dismiss that pain, so that they can feel like they're worth a 10, versus I am a 10, I have pain in my life, but I am a 10, and everything that we're doing, all the good that we're doing is not to get something back, but it's because of a responsibility and meaning that has been placed in us just by the fact that we were born, mm-hmm. not it's by amazing. something we've done. That's awesome. Yeah. Brandon, thank you so much for all of your time. I I for sure have have gained and benefited from this no. conversation more than you have. And uh, I for sure, you have added more value to my world 
than than your world, but it's not because of the color of your skin. <laughs> it's because of your amazing intellect and brilliance and articulation and decades as a as a, a as a therapist and well, a, a social worker. Our our and I'm just so grateful for your friendship. We are the uh, we are in some ways, you know, the witness of what it means to be in relationship for a long time and what it's taken to be that way and how we communicate, you know, and so, and, and trust me, even just being in your presence digitally all the way across the world, (laughs) you know, is, um, is, is sourcing Uh, to my spirit and you are a true champion and a hero in the world. And I, and I love, I love being with you. Good. Love you. my Thank you, Brandon. I love you so much. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Own the Future. I'm Lucas Grobot. I ask one thing, if you have made it this far into today's episode, that you would share it. You would share it on Instagram. You would share it with a friend. You would text it to your brother, sister, uncle, mom, or, you know, work boss, whoever. Just share it with someone that you know needs to hear this today because guess what you are a change maker and those around you in your sphere in your circle they are change makers so let's empower others to change the world and own their futures remember if you own your story you will own the future